just going to, I'm preaching today, so hello. <laughs> Casey hadn't worked it out. <laughs> yes, very good. <laughs> oh my goodness. All right. Look at this. I thought I was done, and then I sat down with my word for two minutes. Just post-it notes everywhere. Now, you know what? Nothing is like, nothing happens by chance. Nothing is a coincidence. What Maddie brought, how many of you were here this morning? Maddie's preach, yep. I mean, epic word. And so much of what she spoke about is what I'm going to be touching on. And that's, that's the Lord's doing. Right, like I said, we don't get together and figure out what's going to work best. So I'm excited to share the word. And it's also, uh, today is about laying a foundation for Tuesday night. So I'm bringing the word Tuesday night. It's actually going to be a really, really good word. Uh, and it's going to be around an area that might make people a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm going to be speaking about judgment and persecution. Now, I will go into what that actually means on Tuesday night, but this is a season where it is, we are in a season of the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord comes with judgment, and with that comes persecution. So, and from the many conversations I've had with people over the last month, even for myself, I just see that it's, it really, if things happen like in pockets and seasons, and this is a season of persecution. And I'm talking about persecution, you know, I'm not talking about good versus evil, the church versus the world. I'm talking about within family. I'm talking about within church community. I'm talking about the place where it hits the hardest, where it hurts the most, where it costs the most. So if you can, um, come on Tuesday night. It's going to be a really good word. And today is just about more recapping the main themes for that. And to be honest, I really didn't want to go over this again. I, I said to him, I said, really, is this what you, I've asked him about three or four times in the last week and a half. I said, is this really what you want me to speak about today? And he kept saying, yes, yes, yes. So today is more a recap on the main themes being fear of the Lord and value systems. And value systems is one of the main things that Maddie was talking about this morning. So he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. But I will say that we do not all offer sudden outbursts of acapella. You're not going to get that from me. <laughs> that'll, that'll clear a room. <laughs> la, la, la. <laughs> oh, anyway, one day. <laughs> Maddie's like, I reckon you do have ability, but you're hiding it. I said, no, sweetie. <laughs> Although I did manage to get on, on the stage and sing at a Benny Hinn. Have I ever told you this story? Put up your hand if you've heard the story. Really? Oh, my gosh. Oh, okay, I'll tell it. Because my word's not going to take long today. So there's one person in this room that can verify that. Can you please raise your hand? Right up at the back there, that man was in the same room. So he's, he, this is truth. This is, this is not the word of the Lord, but it is truth, Right? So back in 1997, I reckon, who remembers when Benny Hinn came to Adelaide in 1997? I think it was about that. Yeah, round about there. Uh, my friend at the time was part of a church, like choir type thing, and she was a singer. She could sing. And we were inseparable. You know that, you know, teenage, like, you know, I'm going to die if my best friend's not with me every day, every second of the day. So we were always together, like literally. There's a saying in Greek that is golo and vraki, which means bum and undies are always together, right? So we were always together. And Benny Hinn comes to Adelaide and the church that we were at, you know, every church got to send through their, their singers to be part of this at the entertainment center, massive stage, and they, they filled it with a massive choir. I can't believe I've never told the story. 
Some of you have heard it. Um, and then, you know, because we were always together, she, I was like, you're going to be doing your own thing for a whole week. And she said, why don't you come? I said, but I'm not a singer. She goes, they won't know that. <laughs> so I went along to the practice that started at Bloomin' 7.30 in the morning. And I just blended in. It's not hard to blend in because you don't have to sing until you're on stage. So I blended in. Everyone was doing their makeup in the toilets. And, you know, there was all this buzz. And we were on the stage for hours. And I learned the moves. It was like, it was kind of like this. And every now and again, it was, you know, it wasn't that hard. Um, and then when we, maybe half an hour before they opened the doors, whatever, they filed us all up. And, and she, there's like so many of us. And she said, just tell them you're soprano. Tell them you're soprano. That way you'll be with me. Otherwise, I'll send you to the other side. And I was like, hey, soprano, 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 soprano. I can do that. Um, and then we, so we walk up the stage and like, you know, they're like, yep, this way, this way, this way, this way. What's the other one? Alto. Is that right? Alto, soprano? Yep. Um, and I got up there and said, soprano. <laughs> and they set me on this side next to her. So we got to stand next to each other. And then this woman rocks up. I like, you know, her name was Darlene Check. And she had this little backpack and she got to arrive like 10 minutes before the doors open. And she walked up, she literally gets off the plane, gets driven to the entertainment center, walks up on the stage and they hand her a microphone. And this is literally what went through my head. I was like, we have been here for hours, <laughs> hours. And you just rock up and they just hand you a microphone. Anyway, so you, I wasn't part of the full church scene back then. But anyway, I figured out after what was happening. Okay. So um, I got to sing at the Benny Hinn conference at the Entertainment Center. I got away with it. There was a microphone hanging about two people away from me, and I just knew, just to lip sync. I didn't, didn't dare put any volume to my voice, and that was it. And so many people didn't, don't believe the story, but I actually did sing at the Adelaide Entertainment Center. So there you go. There you go. You didn't know that about me. <laughs> All right. Um, the other thing that Maddie touched on this morning, which I don't, I don't even know whether she knew that I was going to be talking about, she mentioned Sarah. Now, it's probably pronounced a little bit different, Sarah, Abraham, Sarah. A lot of what I'm sharing on um, Tuesday night is around that story. So I, I'm just excited. You know what? When the Lord confirms something, it makes you feel good. So I'm excited about that. All right. So I'll just begin, shall I? Hmm. Do you guys remember last year I spoke about the fear of the Lord over two or three preachers? Do you guys remember that? Okay, yep, very good. So this is going to be probably a short word for today. Probably going to get an early minute. I'm just going to run through everything. I sat down and I was like, what do you want me to say? And he just handed me the chunks of the different things, plus a little bit extra. And I'm, I'm just going to jump straight in. So we know, also if you're a second year, you're going to be hearing this a lot over the next four weeks. Um, okay, so fear of the Lord. I think the reason why he wants to talk about it today is because we really are in a season of outpouring. And outpouring, you know, outpouring comes with, like I said before, you know, lots of stuff comes up. The fear of the Lord, I think people still don't quite understand how it benefits us and not, it's not something we do for the Lord. Fear of the Lord is not something we do for him. So we all know that the word fear there means to awe, to, to have, you know, it's reverence, to revere. And I love mentioning the first time we get the mention of fear of the Lord. But I'm going to, uh, let me just say this for, first. 
the one thing I want, if I'm, if I'm going to base my entire preach today on one sentence, it will be this. The fear of the Lord is a choice. The fear of the Lord is a choice. And we get that in Isaiah 11.3 where it tells us that Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. Okay, that was a posture he chose to, to, to maintain. So the first mention of the fear of the Lord is where Abraham uh, takes Isaac up the mountain knowing that he's going to sacrifice him, but Isaac doesn't know that. And as he's going up there, he knows, I'm not going to go into full detail of it, but he knows that even though he's going to drive a, a dagger through his son's heart, or however it is they did it back then, uh, that he knew that the Lord was still good to, to bring him back to life and to fulfill his promises, right? I mean, it was a big deal. The guy literally waited 100 years for, for, for Isaac. Um, and so the Lord's like, yep, you're going to do this. You're going to take him up the mountain and you're, you're going to sacrifice the boy unto me. So apart from just thinking about it from a parent's perspective, what would have been going through his head? What would have been going through that man's head? Now, we know that he had faith that God would fulfill his promise, but that doesn't mean he didn't feel emotions. Faith and emotions are two different things. He journeyed something every step of the way, right? So he gets up there and binds the boy, puts him up, and who knows? And I have, I've gone here before when I was talking about the fear of the Lord last year, but just, just really just think about it. Especially when we think that we, that we pay hefty prices for the Lord. Imagine what, would have been, imagine what that interaction would have been like. Isaac, having watched his father slaughter animals time and time again on an altar, he knew exactly what a sacrifice was. And then all of a sudden, he's the one being bound and laid on the altar. So um, there would have been some words exchanged. There might have been some screaming. There may have been calling out for his mother. Who knows? But it didn't move Abraham. And it, then, you know, the angel of the Lord intervenes and says, Stop, because you have feared me. That's the first mention of the fear of the Lord in the Bible. Because you have feared me. And then he says, Look, provision, the ram. We get the ram in, in the bush. So we know that Jehovah Jireh, which everybody loves to pro proclaim, as Maddie said, you know, the, the rabbit foot, we all like to use Jehovah Jireh, but that actually comes with something. It actually comes with a revelation of the fear of the Lord. Jehovah Jireh, the first mention of it was through that, that one portion of Scripture. So the Lord manifested provision. He manifested, showed himself strong on Abraham's behalf with provision because he had a revelation of the fear of the Lord. Thank you. Okay. Now, when Jesus, you know, I said before that Isaiah 11.3 tells us that Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. It's, it's hard to, you know, Jesus wasn't just a character of the Bible. Like, he, he, you know, he's now the resurrected king of glory. But he was, he, he was a man when he came. And he wasn't set with like an earthly experience backpack like, he had to cultivate these things in his heart. So, and he, but the fact that he chose to delight in the fear of the Lord. We, so we see right through his life, he was never shaken, he was never moved. Yep, all right, I'm not going to bang on about that. That's pretty... All right. Now, so let, I'm going to assume that we all agree that the fear of the Lord is good, and we all need it. And... A lot of you, you'll see how much of this ties into what Maddie was preaching this morning. But so, how do we get the fear of the Lord? All right, I'm going to use a portion of scripture that is probably going to trigger Ebony because she's heard me talk about it so often. But 
a portion of scripture that is a really comprehensive breakdown. Now, listen, I really don't care if I have to repeat myself and I don't care if like, you know, you guys are like, oh my gosh, here we go again. I really don't care because this, this is life changing. If you can get your head around this portion of scripture and what it means, you'll be able to, you will be able to trade out of and walk through any level of oppression, torment, cycles in your life. This is the kind of thing we're talking about. Um, so I'm going to use, I'm going to do a really, really quick recap. Uh, I'm going to start in 1 Samuel 10. Yeah, you can put that up now, please. Yes, thank you. All right. So, so this is all through chapter 10. We hear about, you know, the, the, the Israelites have been asking for a king and Samuel's been given instructions from the Lord of, you know, what he's going to say to the people. He's going to outline to them what a king is and what the king's duties are, all of this stuff. So this is coming right at the end of that where he actually, it's, it's not... And, oh, it's funny, coronation. The coronation was yesterday. Like, so this is not the official coronation. He, there was no anointing. He just, he just decrees it, right? He just appoints him, but without an official um, ritual or anything. So uh, it says here, and Saul also, um, yep, so Samuel had just said at this point, he just said to them, this is going to be your king. There he is, hiding over there. Look at him. This is the man that God's appointed as king. And then it says that he sent everyone back to their hometowns. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, well, that's how you say it, and valiant men, went, valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. So just, yeah, um, we'll leave it there for a second. So I want to quickly explain to you how in that story is you and me, both of us. So we're talking about the valiant men. There's a distinction here between the valiant men and the rebels. Now, I'm not saying that some of us are rebels, some of us are valiant men. I'm saying our heart, part of our hearts are in rebellion and part of our hearts God can touch. Yeah? All right. So what I'm describing here is this. Let me, let me break down how the Lord made that distinction. Because when you read that, you look at it and you go, so you, you're a bit of an elitist. You just you choose who you're going to touch. And some men whose hearts God had touched. It's pretty, it's black and white, right? So if you look at the word there where it says the valiant men, the word valiant is kayil. In the Hebrew word is kayil. And, and what it's doing is it's describing a resource. So it doesn't mean brave and courage. It means a resource. It means, it means a force. So it, it can be, you, you can use that word in the Hebrew to describe strength, wealth, might, army, host, ability. So it's talking about a type of man, okay? Now, in that, that particular word there, resource, the root word, the root word of that actually means to be made to tremble, to be made to wait in anguish, to be shaken, to be made to bear, give birth, to be made to bear, to be in pain, to writhe and twist. Now, all of those things are describing something quite uncomfortable. To be made to wait in anguish is a type of thing where you have no control, where you're forced to wait and there's an outcome that is completely out of your control. And that's anguish, right? Just think about that. To be made to wait in anguish. For the people in the room who have given birth, it's a situation where you don't feel like you've got much control. A process has begun and it's just going to finish. These are all very uncomfortable processes. To be made to tremble. 
These are all posture, sorry, these are all, uh, these are all, you know, things that are describing a posture of humility, submission, and inferiority. And that was what the Lord described as the heart of a resource that he, that is available for him to touch, as opposed to the heart of a rebel. So God wasn't feeling a little bit exclusive that day, the Lord would have looked over his people and he would have seen whose hearts were open to him, whose hearts were an available resource in humility, submission and inferiority to him. He was able to touch them. If you struggle with feeling the Lord, if you struggle with getting a touch from the Holy Ghost, I'd start here. I'd start, what part of my heart have I hardened? Because, you know, Belial, which we'll talk about in a second. Belial, oh, I'll talk about it now. Belial means without profit. It means unworthy and ungodly and without value. I've got so many notes here because as soon as I was talking about it, my brain got flooded. Maddie mentioned a scripture in Ezekiel about the hearts of stone, which we're going to associate with a rebel. And she unpacked it in a lot more detail than what I'm going to. But in two words, the heart of stone, the word stone there means trajectory and death. Meaning you remain, if that part of your heart remains hard before the Lord, it causes you to build in a particular trajectory that leads to death. And and he lets us do it because we have free will. So back to verse 27, it says, But some rebels, the children of Belial in the original King James, said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents. So the Lord's making a a comparison there. He's saying, I can touch the hearts of these people, but these people have despised what I have appointed. And they brought him no presents, which again is something that Maddie touched on this morning. The word, uh, let me just... mm. The word presence there means to apportion, to bestow, to invest, to tribute, and to, it's a sacrificial offering. Right? So they, so the word despised, I feel like I could give you guys a Hebrew lesson every time I come up here. The word despised means to scorn, to disesteem, to hold in contempt, to be familiar with. So they looked at Saul And they didn't value what the Lord valued. They didn't value what the Lord had appointed and called him to do and mandated him to do. So their value system was to scorn, to hold in contempt and despise. And so they didn't they didn't contribute, they didn't invest. They 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 did not there was nothing sacrificial on their part. They didn't come into agreement. Maddie was talking this morning about where your treasure is. Treasure, the word treasure means to deposit into. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a proactive thing. So we see there, before, and because verse 11, sorry, um, chapter 11 is where it gets really juicy. But we see that there is a distinction between these two groups of people that make all the difference for what comes upon them. Okay. Now, what I want to say here is, moving away from the Old Testament for a second, it says in 1 John 3.21, did I give you that one? No, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. 1 John 3, 21 talks about, you know, uh, we, we, we can come boldly before the Lord if our heart does not, con- oh, there we go. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. What that scripture is actually saying is when you need God the most and you come before him 
Your heart, the word condemn, means to keep an account, to keep a record, to have knowledge of something, subconscious knowledge. So when you come before the Lord, when you're in crises and you come before the Lord and you're rabbit footing everything, your heart is not in agreement with anything your mouth is saying. And we know that the word's clear. It says, if you have no doubt in your heart, Romans 10, 10, as, um, you know, it is the heart that believes unto righteousness and the mouth that confesses unto salvation. But you can switch those two words with anything. The heart believes unto something, is, convic- is convinced of something. Therefore, the mouth decrees and it's established. So if our heart condemns us, if we do not have the same value system as the Lord, if the Lord values something and because of our own, you know, hardened heart or, uh, you know, corrupt value system, if we can't come into agreement with what the Lord values, when rubber hits the road and we need something the most, we can decree, decree, decree until we're blue in the face, but our heart will condemn us because our heart holds a completely different testimony. So it's very important to understand that I'm not just talking about, you need the fear of the Lord today. You, I mean, it's a fun thing to preach. You've got to get the fear of the Lord. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you, you, you cannot separate the inner world from the external world, which is the spirit world. The two are so linked and people perish because of lack of knowledge. So I look at this and I go, the fear of the Lord actually creates straight pathways for me to inherit everything that he said I'm entitled to. Rather than, oh, that's right, you're big and you know, sovereign, I have to fear you. It's actually the golden ticket to everything we profess to want. We don't want our heart to condemn us. Okay, and here's another thought. You know the scripture that says, I don't have it here, so don't worry about it. The scripture that says, cast your cares. Cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Now, he's actually talking, about that's an instruction. He didn't say if you feel like it and if you run out of options. He says, it's an instruction, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. We're talking about a, 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 a relational connection that allows our heart to have flow. It is a King David reality. That's where we get the Psalms, yeah? If we're not able to do that, we think that we can cast our cares. When you come before the Lord and you start to tell him how you feel about something like King David, your heart won't offer up its treasures because your heart has not built any equity with him in that area. Your heart is not convinced of where it's landing its weight. If I organized a ministry session for you and I put a 10-year-old person that I've spent two days training, would you have any confidence? You would not open your gates at all. So we can choose where we want to disassociate. We can choose where we want a heart and a heart. But when, it's, when, it's gonna, when we need to, to pull from that and make withdrawals from that account the most, this is the sort of thing that, that keeps us feeling like there's a chasm between us and the Lord. The fear of the Lord is what brings us right up into a place of fully being abandoned in Him. So when we come to simple scriptures that we all know, cast your cares, your heart won't offer up its treasures if it's not convinced of the one that it's laying itself down for. Okay. Man, my pages are everywhere. So going back to the sons of Belial... 
They chose to make no deposits. They chose to not contribute at all. They chose to not celebrate and champion and come into agreement with that which the Lord had appointed, even though they had asked for it. Now, I've said before that rebellion is really, like if we're going to get straight down to the root of it, rebellion is the fear of control. So the opposite of the fear of the Lord is rebellion. I don't want to be controlled by the Lord, so I need to, I need to be the boss of me. Everything's driven by fear. All right. Now, so if you're going to, sorry, I'm, I'm now just going to really, really quickly choice, or you don't need to put the scripture up. Um, so we've just seen what happens at the end of chapter 10. In chapter 11, uh, you know, we find that Nahash and the Ammonites came in and encamped around Israel, a portion of Israel. And they didn't do anything. They didn't, uh, I, I always say it like this, so if you've heard me say this before, just bear with me. They didn't shoot arrows, fiery arrows into the air. They didn't send in, um, you know, preliminary attacks. They, all they did was simply present themselves, and it was, in, it was intimidating. And the elders of Israel yielded immediately. They went out to meet Nahash, and they said, make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. So they, ju- they just then, in an instant, completely sold their freedom, their, their future generation's freedom. The word covenant, modern-day language, is agreement. And serve does not mean, um, you know, we'll get you coffee in the morning. Serve means that we will pay taxes to you. We will worship your gods. We, we will completely lose our identity for, for whatever you say our identity is. It was a really, really big deal. And then Nahash, you know, because, well, his name means serpent, you know, whisper a spell. Um, Nahash says, only on this one condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may pull out all of your right eyes and lay it up as a reproach against Israel. Now, let me just simplify that for you. What he's basically saying there is, oh, I will take you captive. That, that I will do, but only, only if you agree, only if you agree that I get to pull out your right eyeballs, everyone's right eye, that I may lay it up as a reproach. Now, the word lay means to mark, it means to label, it means to make someone chargeable, and it, may, uh, it means to... Um, Oh, what's the fourth one? Uh, anyway, we'll go with those three for now. To mark, label, and to, and to be chargeable. Now, the word mark is the same word when God marked Cain. God marked Cain to create a spiritual dynamic that followed him all the days of his life. But it was for Cain's protection. That's not what Nahash was thinking. That's not what, so, so replace the word Nahash for the devil. That's pretty much what his, word, what his name means, right? So he said, only on one condition will I, will I make an agreement and take you into captivity, save us the fight, that I may mark you, spiritually mark you, so that a a dynamic will follow you all the days of your life and that you will be brought under accusation before the Lord because of it and an accusing spirit will follow you. People paranoid all the time. People hearing condemning thoughts. That's 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 an accusing spirit. And if you suffer from that torment, it's because you probably have come under reproach. And the other word, their label, in, as part of to, as to lay and to mark, means to rewrite your identity. So, and then reproach means shame and guilt. So now all of a sudden, things have escalated. All of a sudden, we've gone to shaking hands and saying, I agree, to automatically inheriting because it's, it's now a legally binding process that they get to lay all of this on you on top. So if you suffer 
condemnation, torment, if you feel like you don't even know who you are anymore, if you are constantly feeling under accusation, you are probably under reproach. And why? Because you have come into agreement. You have empowered or enabled a lie. And they did so because of fear, because they didn't know the Lord. They weren't fighting, and then when they ran out of you know, weapons and whatever resource, they then had no option. They simply responded. That was their initial response to an external, um, you know, external stimuli. They, they saw this and they went, well, oh, okay, well, you know, send the elders out, sell our freedom. But then over here, it says that when word got to Saul, now remember Saul and his valiant men, the valiant men followed him to his hometown. When word got to Saul, it said that he got angry when he heard about it. And it said that the Spirit of God came on him. The word came isn't the same as when the dove landed. The word came is a violent word in the original Hebrew. The word came means this, to cause, to break forth and prosper. It's actually a word, that's a, it's a verdict. It's not a catalyst. It actually has a fulfillment it carries with it a verdict from heaven. If the, if the Spirit of God comes on someone, it's, it's all over. And so, what this was the purpose. It says that the Spirit of God came on Saul. He goes out and he meets the Ammonites, his first interaction with them in this story. He goes straight out. And so great was the annihilation against them that it says that no two Ammonites fled together completely annihilated, destroyed the enemy. So Israel wasn't saved that day by ego of the rebels. Israel was saved that day because a small remnant had fear of the Lord. An available platform for the Spirit of God to land because they, their hearts were an available resource. I think that's exciting. So really, the rebels deserved reproach that day. They despised what the Lord had appointed. They chose to be in their own ways. They chose to act upon the selfishness and the hardening of their heart. But they got to keep their right eyes. All right. So... Moving on, talking about um, value systems. One second, let me just take a sip of water. Okay. All right. People on the podcast, people, what is she doing? <laughs> I spilt water all over myself, okay? <laughs> all right. So we're talking about value systems. We're talking about judgment. That, that's the name of my word today, value systems and judgment. Okay. <laughs> Marissa's like, what do, you call, what do you want to call your word? <laughs> so I'm going to use another portion of the Old Testament. They're just such, it's just such good material to demonstrate concepts like this. We get, to, we get now in the luxury of the 21st, are we in the 21st century? We are, we are, aren't we? 21st century! <laughs> to, to look back. All right, Kipipedi area school things. 
<laughs> All right, so I'm going to use another portion of Scripture to explain value systems. So we talked about um, reproach. Was I even meant to talk about reproach? I don't even know. Anyway, let's talk about, let's talk about value systems. Oh, yes. This, I'm going to unpack a, an example of a value system where we hold something in contempt and how it lands judgment on us. Now, it won't look the same as the story I'm about to tell you, but it'll look the same. So I'm talking about a story that we find in Numbers 21, uh, which really demonstrates how the Israelites held the Lord in contempt, um, again, because of their value system. So we, we know time and time again that the Israelites and their faithfulness to the Lord was contingent on how good they felt, how comfortable they were. Now, that describes a lot of us. All right. So a really, really, really quick recap is this. It says in Numbers 21 that the Israelites became discouraged on the journey. They had just actually won a battle. They had just won a battle. You're talking about a bunch of nomads, including women and children, right? They just won a battle, and then they're continuing through the wilderness, and they became discouraged because of the way, and they began to grumble and complain. Uh, did I give, I don't know if I gave you that. Did I give you the Numbers 21 scripture? Okay. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. <laughs> I can't, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so what I want to say, what I want to say here is this. See there where it says, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Do you know the word wilderness there doesn't mean desert? The word wilderness there means, I should have had it ready, <laughs> a big build up. The word wilderness there actually means driving cattle through pasture. And it also means speech. And the root word of that means to arrange, to promise, to command, and to teach. So let me paraphrase. This is what the Israelites were saying. Why did you pull us up out of our homes like cattle you promised us and you've commanded us and you've led us through your, through your words through like cows through the wilderness. That's what they're saying. So it's not just, we look at that and we go, because this is a story, let, let me, spoiler alert, right? This is a story where they get judged by fiery serpents. Does everyone know the story of the fiery serpents? When you look at that, you think that's kind of harsh. They, they're simply stating fact. They said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Were they not in the wilderness? No, it was the motivation of their heart when they said it. So they, look, they, they spoke against God. That's very accurate. They spoke against him. They basically looked at their exile, out of um, their journey out of Egypt into freedom. They looked at that as, well, we kind of did you a favor because you're the one that told us to get up and move. You've driven us out like cattle. But let's not forget that they spent 400 years in slavery, and it says, and God said to Moses before that, he said, I've heard the cries of my people. So he gave them exactly what they wanted, but the motivation of their heart was as soon as they got, as soon as they became discouraged because of the way, they turned around and they said, you've made us come out here and you've driven us out like bovine. I think that's the right word. Yeah, okay. So you can see there the place, the substance because we all speak from places, right? Okay, so they actually saw their obedience of coming up out of Egypt as a tick box reality. 
what they should have seen coming, out of, coming up out of Egypt as was the goodness of God in it, that he was good to fulfill his promise. It just looks like something. Sometimes the journey of obedience looks like something. But when we keep reducing our value, is it, sorry, we keep reducing the Lord down through our value systems because the reason why they kept complaining is because they kept comparing their current conditions to captivity. But at least in Egypt, we had food. There is no food here. You just, you just saw that yourself. There is no food and no water. And our soul loathes this worthless bread. But you just said there's no food. No, there is food. You've just deemed it. You just, according to your value system, it's worthless. Now, we do that. We do that all the time. We reduce the Lord and whatever he's trying to manifest in our lives because we've been asking for it, we reduce it down to our value system. And we grumble and we complain. So the, it says, well, we know that judgment was released on them. And it was released in the way of fiery serpents, so really supernatural snakes. And it says that this, you know, the serpents, the fiery serpents came and bit them. Now the word bit doesn't just mean to strike. The word bit there means to oppress with interest on a loan, to lend upon usury. Usury meaning high rates of interest. So why, why did I want to talk about that? Because a loan is something you acquire. You don't just wake up one day and somebody's giving you a loan. A loan is something that you choose, you go after. It's something that you have assumed that you have capacity to repay. So by them taking their own value systems and raising them up against the Lord, they had to be good for it. Yeah? They had to be good for it. And so judgment sometimes looks like the Lord meeting you at what you choose to raise up against him. Are you good? Are you good? Can you underwrite this value system that you've risen up against him? So the word bit there from the fiery serpents means to lend with unreasonably high interest rates. But you've raised it that high. Judgment lands as much as you invest into your own ways. Now the antidote, because many of them died. There you go. Many of the people of Israel died. All right, so that you got people kind of like dying everywhere. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, can you just imagine that? Just one second. Can you just imagine fiery serpents? Before your brain can even like comprehend what is happening around you, you're seeing things that you, know, you don't really have language for. And all of a sudden, your family members, you know, people dropping dead. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord. So they knew, they knew, they weren't confused. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. Now, let's think about that for a second. The antidote was not some supernatural well, it was supernatural intervention, but it wasn't like parting the Red Sea. It wasn't like striking a rock and water coming out. The antidote was to humble them and to remove all forms of disassociation, abdication, and anywhere where they weren't holding themselves accountable. Judgment sometimes looks like that, where he, he causes us to be humbled 
giving us no wiggle room to continue to disassociate and abdicate. So God said to Moses, you know, we've just read that, you know, fashion a bronze serpent and put it up on a pole. Now, these people have just been traumatized by fiery serpents. They probably haven't even had time to bury their family, bury their friends. And next minute, there's a massive one being raised up on a pole. And people are still getting bitten. So it's still in their midst. And then Moses says to them, whoever looks at this will be healed. Now, the word looks there does not mean to turn your eyes and to look. The word look there is actually in the, in the original Hebrew means beheld or behold. Whoever beholds this, the very thing that traumatized you, whoever beholds it will be, will, shall live. The word behold there means to look intently at. It means to regard with pleasure. It means to look at with favor and have respect. Can you imagine if that's how the Lord humbled us every single time that we deserve judgment, that he caused us to look directly at something with pleasure and favor? But that was the antidote, to completely allow them to feel the weight of what they continually raised up against him, their value system. They felt the consequence, which was, you know, like a loan. And it required for them to then completely change and break on the rock everything that their value system was built on. To look intently at, to regard with pleasure. How many people do you look at with pleasure? Let's be honest. Imagine if the Lord asked you to look at somebody who really triggers you and says, if you want your heart to be healed in this area, you've got to regard them with pleasure. You have to look at them with favor and respect. That's a sealer moment. So we know that the Israelites grumbled because of lack of attitude. Gratitude. They had lots of attitude. Gratitude. <laughs> so they grumbled because of their lack of gratitude. And you can only appreciate what you value. You can only appreciate what you value. So again, we're talking about value systems. All right, I'm landing the plane in a second. So the issue there, it's easy to see the Israelites, it's quite simple. They, they, they continued to behold Egypt and what, because their value systems were created when they were in slavery. This, is, this, is, this food is crap. In Egypt, we had leeks. Never mind the freedom, but at least in Egypt, we had this. So their value systems were created in slavery and the Lord was trying to take them through a wilderness experience to, to, to give them a revelation of sonship. They had everything they needed in the desert. They had a GPS day and night. They had food falling out of the sky. They had water on tap. The rocks were offering up water everywhere they went. But they kept looking back at a value system that, they, that was created in slavery. I think that that is the journey from orphan slash slave into sonship, is that we keep looking back a value system that we have created in that environment and we continually measure the Lord up against that. And we can't even see what he's doing and what he's trying to achieve in our lives. Obedience is not a tick box reality. You're not doing the Lord a favor. Obedience is, I see your goodness in this. 
Same thing happened to Lot's wife. She turned into a pillar of salt because she looked back with the same word. She beheld Sodom and Gomorrah. She looked back on a place that God condemned. And that's why she turned to salt. Not because she turned around because she heard the noise. It was the posture of the heart. She turned back and her heart was tethered to that place. Because she looked at Sodom with, with intent. With, she regarded it with pleasure and favor. So, in landing the plane, what I got the most from this is that we need to take responsibility for our own heart's motivation and value systems. Because it's the, our value systems, like Maddie was talking about this morning, our value systems is what cause us to, to draw our own conclusions. They looked at the bread and they went, this is, this is worthless. We loathe it. They've, they've come to a conclusion, right? To somebody else, that would have been like, oh, yay, we didn't have to work for it. It, it actually fell at our doorstep. It's a value system. Even unto creating our own outcomes, Ishmael, which I'll talk about on Tuesday night. When we do this, when we are not looking at the value systems of our heart, I mean, we're not even talking about ascension, like what Maddie was talking about. We're, 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 just, we're just starting, we're just staying here, right? When, when we don't do this and when we continue to raise our value systems up against the Lord and they become idols in our world or whatever, it invites judgment into our lives. And judgment is not punishment. Judgment is simply the result of what you have chosen. God is honoring that you have a free will. So it invites judgment into our world. So the fear of the Lord is actually a beautiful thing. I've learned a lot about the fear of the Lord in ways that I didn't expect to, but it has been mind-blowing for me that really, I just want to take you through just two or three scriptures. I'm just going to tell you what, just out of the many things, that the, the many thoughts that the Lord has on the fear of the Lord, I just want to share with you just two or three. The fear of the Lord, again, is not what we do for God, it's actually the thing that allows him to serve us. Look at it that way. It's the thing that allows him to manifest and show himself strong for us. It's the thing that allows him to incline himself to us. When he, whenever he saved Israel, it says that he inclined himself. And inclined means to outstretch your arm. The Lord outstretched his arm for Israel. The fear of the Lord is what allows him to serve us. It's a paradigm shift. I'm just going to run through them. I don't think I gave them to you, but don't worry about it. Proverbs 10.27, read these for yourselves. But Proverbs, Proverbs 10.27 says that the fear of the Lord prolongs life. In Proverbs 19.23, it talks about that the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life and it keeps us from the snares of death and it actually gives us satisfied sleep, rest. And Psalm 34, 7 talks about the fear of the Lord causes him to encamp around us. Which is the very thing that Nahash did, which preached to the Israelites. Which really, oh, you want to be in your own ways? Well, what's going to happen when something encamps around you? You respond immediately in fear and you sell yourself. You come into agreement and you sell yourself to bondage. And by believing a simple lie, the next thing you got an eyeball missing, you're completely disabled. It disables your function. 
When you come under reproach, it disables your function as well as you come under an accusing spirit. You're tormented, cycles of torment, shame and guilt. But the fear of the Lord encamps around, does the very thing that the enemy uses to intimidate us. I'm going to continue the fear of the Lord on Tuesday night, but I'm going to bring it in the context of judgment and mercy and persecution. I've talked a, bit, a little bit about judgment today, but specifically persecution and, um, and mercy on Tuesday. But what I want to do, if, if, uh, you know, if you're in agreement, please don't do me any favours. If you're in agreement, I'm going to do communion. I'm going to facilitate communion over Colossians 3.2. So if you want to, you can, or you can do communion on your own, that's fine. Now, Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, which is another, you know, angle of what Maddie was talking about this morning. Yeah, the pads would be nice. I'm just going to start. So just, just find, find that place. Just set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. But when I go through this, as you're, as you're posturing yourself before Him to take communion, what you're holding in your hand is already what He has paid for. He's paid the heftiest price. He took the biggest loan that none of us could pay and He paid the highest interest rates. That's what you're holding in your hand today. And the word affection here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, just, I'll just use this. I'm gonna massage this into my prayer of a communion. It's gonna be a little bit different to the way we normally do it. Holy Spirit, we thank you that sometimes your word is like a hammer. But we thank you that through each and every thought and word you've ever spoken is to reveal your heart. We thank you that the fear of the Lord is what you have given us to bring order into the chaos, to make crooked paths straight, made possible by who you are and what you do. We thank you that the fear of the Lord is not how you want to be treated. It's how you want to be known. That it's a place of rest. That it's a part of your character and nature that it gives us everything that our heart has ever cried out for. Deep calls unto deep, calls unto deep, calls unto deep. That in the depths of our hearts, each and every one of us here desires a prolonged life. Each and every one of us has craved and wanted to partake of your fountain of life. Each and every one of us wants to sleep satisfied and rest well. Each and every one of us wants to be kept from the snares of death. We thank you that the fear of the Lord is direct solution and provision for deep calling unto deep 
that you promise to encamp yourself around us. That scriptures like, what can man do to me? can only make sense and only be possible through the fear of the Lord. So we thank you that as you've instructed in Colossians 2, to set our mind on things above. To set our affection. That the word affection does not mean things we feel warm and fuzzy about, things that give us pleasure. The word affection there means to exercise the mind. That what we choose to exercise our mind to, it means to be mentally disposed. It means to consider ourselves like, to consider ourselves as one. We thank you that as we take communion, that we are beginning to renew our minds in what it means to set our affections and our treasures and bring our value systems into submission with what you value. delivery of the word today, anybody came under hectic torment from an accusing spirit, I'd like to pray with you. So please feel free to make your way down the front. Otherwise, we have a Tuesday night, uh, back on, yes, that's right. We have Tuesday night uh, meeting at 7.30. Yep. I don't normally announce Tuesday nights. I'm like, <laughs> Uh, and yeah, hope to see you guys there. Thank you so much. And we'll just leave the pads running for those of you that just want to, you know, soak in.